0: Welcome to AIJCast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On the season, as we continue to dip back into our archives, we are revisiting our 2021 conversation with Taria Camarino. Taria is a chef, an artist, and a synesthete. And if that word is unfamiliar to you, it's the very first topic we delve into. Taria spoke with us back in 2021 from her home right here in Atlanta. Teria Camarino, welcome to AIJCast. Hi,
1: thank you, I'm really excited.
2: I would love if we could start with a little conversation about synesthesia. And for those who are unfamiliar with the concept, what that means, and then also your particular manifestation, because it has many, many different ways that it manifests in different people.
1: Yeah. So in my limited understanding of synesthesia, basically there is a crosswiring in the brain when you interpret information. I've worked um, specifically with the International Institute of NeuroGastronomy out of the um, University of Kentucky. I've done work with them for a couple of years on understanding the neurology behind it. Specifically, they were working with patients with cancer because a lot of times the chemotherapy will alter our taste. Hmm. And if there's mouth cancers or things like that, they'll lose all taste. And so they losing the desire to eat. And so because my synesthesia is specifically gastoral, so... What that means for me is I taste everything. Mm. I have no visual or auditory memory. I close my eyes and everything disappears. I can watch the same movie a hundred times and not remember anything unless there's food. And I taste emotions, colors, people, the road, cars. It can make it challenging because when people tell stories, they always tell them in a visual manner. Mm -hmm. And I generally have no idea what they're saying. So I am constantly taking that information in and interpreting it the way that I can. So if someone says, I, did you see the blue car? I don't actually know what a blue car looks like, hmm. but I can taste the metal. I can taste exhaust. And so I have a memory of a car. I remember food, even with never having experienced that food before. Uh, So I can touch ingredients and I know how to use them and I can remember the history, the growing patterns, um, even if I've never actually used that particular ingredient.
2: In some ways, as you describe it, it seems inevitable that you would... (laughs) go into culinary arts, does it feel that way to you?
1: Now, I can say that I am very kinesthetic as well mm. um, with my synesthesia, so I feel things in my body mm. with everything, The but I can't necessarily communicate them. So yes, it makes perfect sense that I would choose food as my career path because it's honestly one of the few ways that I can communicate effectively. Right. I learned very early on in my career that I could manipulate flavors and even the subtle vibrations of food so that I could create a feeling in the person who ate what I was cooking for them. If I wanted them to feel sad, I could make them feel sad. If I wanted them to feel happy, I could make them feel happy. I Hmm. could manipulate that in whatever way. So I think I chose it because it was the only way I could really communicate how I experience life. Hmm. Now, as far as the sensation, the physical sensation, um, also, I went hungry a lot as a child. In fact, I was born hungry. My mom was very young and she starved herself when she was pregnant with me, Mm. she was 17. And so Mm. I was born early. I was also allergic to everything. So my relationship to food has always been very interesting. And I knew I wanted to cook for a living when I was 17. I knew exactly what I wanted to do in a way to communicate so that people could experience the um, more. I guess, because mm. I experience food in such a huge way. It's so big and so powerful that I did feel that most of the people around me, it was very limiting. They did not experience the kind of beauty and food that I got to every day. And then again, yeah, to use it to communicate a feeling.
2: Do you have any sense of what it was like to discover that this was unusual? <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. Well, I did not learn like other people mm-hmm. growing up, mm-hmm. right? So studies were hard for me in that respect, but I didn't understand why. Right. My mother cooked, but she hated it. Um, she worked a full-time job. She cooked because she had to. She did not enjoy it. It's
2: utilitarian.
1: Yeah. And uh, she wasn't very good at it, she probably would hate me to say that, but she's <laughs> really not a good cook. But what happened was she took a job at the African and Asian Languages Department at the University of Florida. And I met people from all over the world, and they weren't just people, they were intelligent and kind. And whenever we would visit them, there was always food, food that they prepared. Mm-hmm. and. You know, they would ask if we were hungry. My mother would say no. And um, they would say, okay, just a snack. And then the coffee table is filled with domas and baklava. And and I'm just like, oh, my God. And so the connection of generosity and culture and intelligence and food that was prepared in such a loving way. And there were all these spices. That's when I understood that my life was very void of a way for me to be able to relate to the world. Mm. Because there was no flavor. There was no spice. Everything was so... Bland, And so I couldn't connect to anything until all of a sudden I was exposed to all of these different flavors from all over the world all the time. And I think that that started to help me understand the way I related to things. I didn't fully know that I had synesthesia until my late 20s. I just kind of thought there was something wrong with me. And I remember making friends with some people in my apartment complex and we were talking and they finally, they just said, do you talk about anything but food? (laughs) And I was like, actually, I don't think so. (laughs) But I don't know how to talk about Mm. anything but food. I mean, everything is going to come back to the way it tastes anyway for me. Mm. And I also don't think that there are any bad flavors, right? Mm. There are things that we may not enjoy, but everything is this tapestry anyway. So it wasn't until much later that I started to figure out that maybe I was definitely weird. (laughs) (laughs) So Thankfully, I had already found my way to food.
2: And that's such a different framing and an important framing is there's something wrong with you as opposed to there's something different about you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And do we? what do we know about the causes or what leads to synesthesia? I mean, it's a crossing of wires in the brain. Mm-hmm. And what we know about that is that's shaped by very, very early Development. developmental things, right?
1: And it's interesting. I have not done a deep dive into that for my personal life i mean the connection between emotional trauma or emotional joy hmm. and the development of the brain right I and mean, right obviously there's a connection and a correlation there and if i'm to look at my life and how hungry Mm. I was since conception Mm. and then the fact that I was allergic to everything I lived on Gatorade and liquid vitamins for a very long time after I was born and my mother had hepatitis that's why I was born early so I didn't even get to see her for months. Yeah, and I actually hate Gatorade, by the way. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think you had your fill.
1: Yeah, um, and so the potentiality of that affecting the way that I developed is huge and high. I mean, I know that for other people who have different types of synesthesia. So color grapheme synesthesia where, you know, the way you see everything is colors. Mm-hmm. My eldest son has that. So mm. he it's also a type of dyslexia. So dyslexics mm. they don't learn phonetically, but when they see letters, we think that they're turned backwards, but in actuality they're seen as colors. Mm. So he taught himself to read by practicing graffiti. And so his letters were always different, but mostly what we ended up having him do was create an alphabet that was just color-based so that I knew what that looked like. Oh, this Mm -hmm. is what A is. It's actually not an A, it's a gray spot. Hmm. So I don't know exactly, now he can also see 70 more colors than the average person because of the way his the cones in his eyes are developed. So he does art because of that. And I think that certainly we have genetic predisposition to things. And then how we move about that will probably determine how that wires in the brain.
2: I love what you're describing about your son discovering how to read through graffiti and how you have this awakening as a teenager of food and generosity and flavor and intelligence and kindness. In both cases, it feels very much like Rather than running away from or trying to fix this thing, you leaned into it. You got closer to it. You decided to taste it. If I can play with that metaphor yeah, a little more, that
1: absolutely and leaning
2: into it and and finding the gift, the gift in it, right?
1: I'm good at that by nature. I think I'm good at leaning into mm. the difficult parts of life. I think that's actually probably what I'm best at. Mm. Yes, I guess I could have gone in another direction and avoided it, yeah. but I don't think I would have been very successful.
2: No, or joyful.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately it was the only real option. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I knew I wanted to do food when I was 17. I was not in school for that. I mm-hmm. was in school for um business and mm-hmm. linguistics mm-hmm. and... I found my way to a pastry magazine. I don't even really know how it came into my life. I may have just seen it at the store. And there was a pastry chef, his name's Stanton Ho, which I did get to meet him later in life. And he was in Las Vegas. And I'd never seen anything like this. The food that he was creating, the pastries, they were so beautiful and exquisite. And it was like, oh my God, that's what I wanna do. Hmm. I wanna create something that is so small it can change your perspective you know you eat one bite of it and at some point you wake up to something that you didn't know was possible Mm. it could be a flavor combination and i think for most of my career that's been my the things that people really say about me is my ability to combine flavors that wouldn't normally work together Mm. Of course I can. I have a gift that most people don't have. Sure. I understand them on the subtlest level. Yeah. But to me, flavor and people are non-different, right? So mm-hmm. the flavors of a particular culture, a particular group of people, they communicate so much about their story, their history, the things they value. And um, So they're non-different to me. And Mm. it's always been a goal of mine to be able to combine these flavors that would normally seem like they don't go together. Because I feel like that's kind of my take on humanity. Mm. Mm. It isn't so much that they don't work. It's that we haven't found the common denominator for them to be able to communicate. Mm. So an example, curry and chocolate. Curry and dark chocolate rarely pairs well together. It's not a very good combination, but that makes sense because when curry is used, it's always paired with a fat. And what that fat does, coconut, Mm -hmm. cream, what that fat does is it coats the tongue in a particular way so that what you're getting more is the aroma. And so that travels upward. If you pair that with something very dark and astringent and bitter, there's no... Smoothness, there's no carrier. So if you still want dark chocolate, you have to use a white chocolate or a milk chocolate so you have that fat that Mm -hmm. then shifts the flavor to aroma. Mm. Also, a thing that people don't know about flavor is that it doesn't just fall on the tongue, right? There's actually a range of flavor that starts about uh, mid chest that goes all the way up to the crown of the head. And the flavors fall in that range. And so if you can take certain flavors and you make sure that there's not too many in one section and you balance it out with another component, then it can communicate, they harmonize, Mm. they talk to each other. And that's always been my understanding that it's the same way with people. Mm. If Mm. you can just find a way to find harmony in the communication well, then it's just beautiful and magic.
0: Taria Camarino on AIJCast, recorded back in 2021. We'll be back with more of that conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As always, we encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com. It is a delightfully scaled place for you to connect with our artists, including their news, information, and products. Among the things that you'll find there is a link to Taria's wonderful book, Fearless Innovation, Atlanta's food story. And as a reminder, we are spending this time regrouping and imagining what comes next for AIJCast. And of course, that's where you, our listeners, come in. If you have thoughts, or if you would like to send us some financial support, which is a key question for us right now, you can do so at AIJCast.com, whether it's clicking on the contact link, Or the support link to make a donation, which you can also do over on Patreon. And of course, you'll find all this and more at AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our 2021 conversation with Taria Camarino. Something
2: you and I have talked about in kind of our pre-interview, how we love to silo things. We we separate things. So we call food prep, uh, when we want to be fancy, we call it the culinary arts. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't connect it with any other arts. Typically it's its own thing. And that's true of a lot of art, but I think, I think food kind of has a very special and taste has a very special kind of separation than other things. So just as seeing this connection between flavors and seeing the connection between taste and other sensations Mm -hmm. is a gift that you have I think you also have a gift and can help us as a community learn about those other connections that we're not going to make because our brains are wired differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, as far as the food and art part of it, that has been something that I've kind of struggled with in my career because mm. there is a separation. It's almost isolating. Yeah. And being certainly more artistic in my expression, I think that it could be lonely Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't, I'm not a normal chef, right? It's, it's, I'm trying to tell a story every single time. It may not even be my story. And when I design a menu for a restaurant, I'm communicating their story. You know, what is it that they are trying to say? And we use sight and sound as mediums for art, but not taste. Mm. And I'm thinking because it's utilitarian, because we have to eat. Also, you can eat pretty crappy food and still survive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's certainly no art in that. Sure, And that may be part of it, is that it's just such a, a necessity for life that we haven't made that connection. I know that that has expanded you know, in the past 10 years, 15 years. Mm. I've seen chefs kind of exalt themselves into other areas where the craft that they do has been viewed as art. Mm-hmm. And then also artists have really moved into incorporating food elements into their their work. Sure. Because the truth is, everybody has a food story.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the way that you and I got connected was through our mutual friend, the ridiculously talented and very (laughs) amazing Okori Johnson, OK Cello, where I was attending his album release party for his uh, second album, Resolve. And he asked you to create a chocolate to pair with one of the songs.
1: Yeah, I remember that. And I'm gonna tell you, I've done a lot of pairings this way and it's always kind of weird, right? Where all of a sudden I get these flavors and I'm like, what the hell am I gonna do with that? (laughs) What am I supposed to do with these flavors and combine them so that it's actually enjoyable, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think that probably In all of my work, the foundation for me is that it's not that I'm not willing to challenge people, but if it doesn't bring joy, then you lose people, right? You lose them. Yeah. You repel them. And... You know, you can't change anybody's experience of life if you're repelling them, if you meet them in a way that causes them to resist you. Mm. I'm very fortunate because I make sweets, and so (laughs) (laughs) I can do all kinds of beautiful damage in the world. (laughs) And for that particular expression, I know that I had to put black licorice on it. Black Mm. licorice and chocolate, pretty tasty. Mm -hmm. But... It's still odd, yeah. and can a lot of people have very particular ideas about um, licorice. I'm going to just let you in on a thing, but black licorice tastes like fear. Mm. So, um, wow. Yeah. And it's not like fear of death, which is a very big one, yeah. but it brings up a particular kind of fear, and it you can certainly tell how close people are willing to get to fear based on their repulsion of black licorice. And wow. so pairing it with chocolate though, right? Cause chocolate is
2: joy and love celebration, and joy. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, so, um, doing that work with a is a very humbling experience because he gives me permission to do whatever it is. And I think that the only way someone can give you that kind of permission is if they, insist upon it in their own creative process Mm. because you if you put limits on the things a person's not necessarily how they want to say it but the things that they want to say then you cannot achieve greatness Mm. right like it's impossible and Corey and i have always really worked well together for that reason because Mm. he we're both just like okay let's see where it goes (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea where this is going to go. Let's let's figure it out. It was a, a joy. I'm really glad you got to experience that. Oh, me too. Another thing that's interesting is all of my work is temporary.
2: Yeah, right, right. And it, and it was one of those things where not being a synesthete myself, at least not that I'm aware of, I think I would know by now, it was one of those things where I was like, well, this will be interesting because I don't have any preconceived notion of taste mm-hmm. and music pairing together at all. And it didn't necessarily heighten any of that for me but it was this kind of beauty of i don't know there there was i had there was it was an experience of mystery and awe in a sense of I experience this music in one way, and here's someone else who experiences this music in a wholly different way that I will never experience. And they're trying to bridge it for me, and then it's gone. Yeah, the chocolate. Cho- but as soon as soon as you said black licorice, I went, "Oh, yeah, that's right." I I would not have been able to tell you what was in the chocolate. I would have been able to tell you it was chocolate. But as soon as you said licorice, it was there was a strong sense of that's right. It didn't make sense that they would be in there together, but it was so exciting to try it. <laughs>
1: I have done a flavor profile. Uh, this was for the Institute of Neurogastronomy. It was the first year for the symposium, and I did a lollipop mm. that was the flavor profile of the last stanza of the 1812 Overture
2: with the cannons and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: it was really intense. And so there was a booth, and you would put headphones on and eat this lollipop while you listened. It was fascinating because. First of all, people were like, "What the heck is going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was fun for me to watch because I can watch a person and see what's happening to them mm. subtly. I can tell even if they haven't become fully conscious of it. Yeah. But there is a master sommelier, and I I can say that that's actually very a small description for his capacity. He understands flavors on a molecular level, and it's profound his the brilliance that he has and so talking with him I had him sit and do that if I'm doing a good job you shouldn't be able to pick out the flavors Hmm. you should just have an experience but what was awesome is he could pick out every single flavor um, because he's so skilled in that way and gifted Um, but he said that it actually tasted just like the music so that was that's cool Amazing. And then Okoria and I have done it. I also flavor profiled Andrew Zimmern. And so my friend Karen, who's a cake artist, she was doing this outside and they asked me to make a cake that tasted like him. And usually when people, cause I profile people, they're always like, oh, I bet it tastes like peanut butter. I love peanut butter. And I'm like, <laughs> actually it doesn't have anything to do with what you like. <laughs> everything emits a vibration, hmm. right? So light is a vibration. Mm-hmm. Sound is, a, everything is a vibration. For me, the easiest way to understand the vibration, actually, <laughs> the very limiting only way I understand it fully, is through taste. So f- people emit vibration. I sit with that, it comes in, and then I get flavors so that I'm able to then communicate back to you how I experience who you are. Yeah. And. To do that for people, it's challenging because people are so complex and sure. yeah. and they want it to be a certain way. And I pick up obviously on the largest aspects of who they are. Yeah. And so creating this cake, I'm getting prawns and pear and miso and I'm like, what the heck am I gonna do with this? It's a cake. <laughs> if I was making a dinner, that would be fine. Um, but I got to make this into a cake and I, I mean, you have to enjoy it. It's
2: one of my favorites, by the yes. way miso prawn cake. We had it at our wedding. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's perfect. So I did what I did was I um, toasted the prawn shells, ground it into a flour, I folded it into the cake. I also got green Szechuan peppercorn, bay leaves. I mean, it was all over the map. I made a fresh bay leaf syrup to brush the cake with. The green peppercorns, I ground and folded that into the cake. And then I did a miso and pear, pate a jelly, to put in between the layers of the cake. So it's time for him to taste this cake. I'm telling him, you know, what it is, why it's there. I explained to him, he's like, so, why are these flavors? And I was like, well, you're actually really arrogant, but that's okay because it's justified. You're really talented, but it's difficult for people. Yeah. But it turns out you're really just tender. That's the pear. Mm. So I'm telling him all these flavors. And he said, do you know pear is my favorite fruit? And I was like, I mean, that's not surprising. He said, and I smuggle bay leaves into the country from every country that I go to. And I was like, okay. So I'm just like going and breaking it down. He's like, wow, I feel like I've been psychoanalyzed (laughs) through food. But he's a chef. And so his relationship to food is so powerful. Then it turns out that the camera guy wants me to profile him and the writer wants me to profile her, which happens very naturally and easy for me. But I'm always kind of stunned by it. So the camera guy, he's kind of talking to me and I was like, okay, fine, but I got to finish this one because it's so weird. Mm -hmm. And he leaves the room and I was like, hey, who is that guy? And they're like, what? I was like, I feel like I know him. Maybe we've worked on another TV show or something. And then it hit me. I was like, I don't know this guy. He feels familiar. He had this familiar quality. And then all of a sudden, all of the flavors. And it's interesting because um, working with the New York Astronomy Institute, it's not just flavor. It's also texture and temperature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I get everything. So a strawberry is one thing. Strawberry jam is another thing. Strawberry Mm -hmm. granita is another thing. Strawberry sorbet or ice cream. All of those things are different. Um, because they all taste and sure. you experience them differently. So I also get texture and temperature.
0: Taria Camarino, you can connect with her over on Instagram, where her handle is love.never.dies.naturally. On our next episode, we are digging way back into the archives in 2017 and part of our season two conversation with David Lamott. A.I.J.Cast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. As I am fond of saying, it does not cost much to make this podcast, but it ain't free. And that's where you, our listeners, come in. You can make a donation through our website. Just go to A.I.J.Cast.com and click on the link that says support. Or you can make a sustaining donation over on Patreon. We are at Patreon.com slash A.I.J.Cast. And as we are regrouping and considering what comes next for us here at AIJCast, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us in many ways, including on the social medias. We're there on several platforms where our handle is AIJCast. Our theme music comes courtesy of our house band, Marred Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the somewhat tawdry Al Mudif who says this every time I give him the raw audio from one of our interviews.
1: What the hell am I going to do with that?
0: And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I hope you'll paint your own canvas with justice and faith. <laughs>